0: Hello and welcome back to Landed Stories of Newcomers. Today we have the pleasure of speaking with Anand Natarajan, the Energy Manager for the Office of Sustainability for the City of Cleveland. I'll now pass it over to Joe Simberman, Global Cleveland's President, who had the pleasure of speaking with Anand.
1: Hello and welcome to another session of our podcast called Landed, where Clevelanders tell their own stories of being in Cleveland, what they do, and we get to hear how lucky we are uh, to have these wonderful individuals who are in roles of leadership uh, throughout our community. Our guest today is someone who really knows a lot about sustainability. Uh, He has been the energy manager for the city of Cleveland, working out of the mayor's office for sustainability for the last decade, since April 2010. Anand focuses on energy efficiency, renewable energy, green buildings, and alternative fuel transportation-related policy programs, and he implements this for city operations as well as the city proper. He serves in a number of energy and climate-related advisory committees in the region, as well as on the board of the local ASHRAE chapter. We are joined today by the Energy Manager for the Mayor's Office of Sustainability in the City of Cleveland, Anand Natarajan. Anand, thank you so much for joining us.
2: My pleasure. It's, it's an honor to be uh, included in this podcast series. Thank you.
1: We were actually watching the budget series and the budget hearings uh, a while ago as a staff, and you were presenting and someone said, I had no idea we had someone who is so knowledgeable about so many things around energy and, and other aspects of sustainability working. And I said, the city of Cleveland is very fortunate to have people like Anand and we're very appreciative. Would you tell us a little bit about where you were born and what your hometown was like?
2: Sure. So, I was born in a city called New Delhi, uh, the capital of India. Uh, and I'm going to date myself when I say this, but born in 1973. Uh, I did not live there too long because my parents uh, um, migrated to the south uh, part of India. And so, most of my time was uh, uh, you know, growing up in a city that used to be called Madras, M-A-D-R-A-S, and uh, has now been uh, called Chennai, so C-H-E-N-N-A-I the fourth largest city in India. It's in the southern peninsula of India. So that's where I pretty much grew up from uh, for, for most of my childhood.
1: What was your reason for coming here? We were so, you know, we're so lucky to have you in Cleveland, but there's so many places around uh, the United States, around the world, Europe, Central and South America, Africa, that you could have gone and, and yet you decided to come here.
2: That's a great question. So I would uh, want to uh, trace my, you know, where I first came. I came actually first to Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, back in 94 to pursue my graduate studies program. Uh, So that's where I landed first. And I landed in Northeast Ohio, I want to say 2003, uh, late 2003 is when I landed. Uh, So Basically to go back with the reason why I came to the United States instead of any other country, right? Uh, certainly just from a perspective of pur- pursuing higher studies, uh, it seemed like a great destination. I was heavy into research uh, in terms of what I was doing for my undergraduate engineering program. It also helped that my brother and my sister had just come to the US within eight months or 10 months of each other of me landing here too. So I had some role models, I guess, from my friends in college and from my siblings too, who were here and then were talking about the opportunities that the, the United States provides, especially if somebody wants to pursue a higher degree in education. And then in 2003, it's, it's, it's funny what happened. So, you know, I wasn't going around doing a lot of consulting after my graduate studies program. And I came in for what was supposed to be a two-month project in late 2003, 2004. That project uh, was in Steris uh, in uh, Mentor, Ohio. It ended up being a two-and-a-half-year project. And uh, in the meantime, I also got married in 2004. And then my, my wife came here and we looked around and we settled on a in a ring suburb to stay we live in shaker heights and we've been in the same home since 2006. wow
1: in your background did you know that you were going to be getting into energy or uh, environmental sciences you know as you were coming up and learning was that just something that you found you know uh, piqued your interest as a a student
2: so that's a great question so the undergraduate program i did in india was uh, very unique in the sense that it focused on what is called as electrochemical uh, engineering. It's a subset and a specialization of chemical engineering focusing on materials and batteries and renewables. Uh, I came to do my master's work. I did some research in materials and uh, in other work but honestly the, the, the job proposition wasn't great right out of master's and I somehow lost interest in a PhD to be honest and so uh, a lot of my friends were getting into IT and management. Uh, and to be honest, that was also something that was, uh, you know, from a visa perspective, right? We also have to depend on a work visa that was more readily available. And I caught the IT bug at that time, right? <laughs> and so started working with Oracle uh, Corporation to begin with and a couple of other uh, major um, yeah, firms doing a lot of IT and management. Sometime in 2006, um, I wanted to do an MBA and I started my MBA at Case Western Reserve University. Um Tremendous influence, uh, especially doing some work in organization development and sustainability uh, under a professor called David cooperider especially, who's been uh, very influential in terms of how the city has been looking at sustainability. I said, you know, now is an opportunity uh, before I grow too old for me to change my career. And um, it, it's interesting that by that time, I also got my green card so it provided me a little bit more, more stability in terms of what I could or could not do in the, in, in the country. And I said, if I don't take the plunge now, I never will. So in 2009, I, I 8 or 9, even before the recession started, or just coincidental, that I quit my full-time consulting job and I decided to complete my full-time MBA uh, at Case. And I said, and I just took a pivot. And so the pivot was to go back and connect to my roots uh, about energy and renewables in some shape or form. So that was my been my transition, if you may. Uh, I still use a lot of IT. I still use a lot of management. And so that's why I've been able to combine my uh, background and disciplines. Uh, energy, I call myself, this is the order that I do, en- engineering, science, and management. So I've been able to combine those f- facets in this energy management work.
1: Could you share a little bit, Anand, about your, your international experience and how it helps you with your work here in, in Cleveland? I mean. You know, you've been part of, of, of the office that's led so much of the annual uh, sustainability conferences, of the ongoing um, integration of, mm-hmm. of, of green thinking into different departments. Um, and you're coming at this perspective from someone, you know, who was born outside the United States, but you bring that expertise to the table. Has that had a, an influence in terms of how you're able to do your job?
2: That's a great question. So I'm looking at it always from what I can influence in the city operations right? perspective and also the community. So when we talk about the community, although there are not immediate similarities, there is a lot of diversity, right? Um, again, it's if, if it's back in India, it's about certainly uh, income levels does play a significant role, right? The one corollary that I've found, Joe, is, right, I've had to uh, pivot the way that uh, we look at sustainability and energy management in the city of Cleveland uh, from, from, you know, that equity lens quite a bit, right? Um, so that has given me a good perspective that although it may not be exactly one-to-one, you have to start addressing the audience where you are, right, in terms of what the needs are. For instance, just recently, and you will find this in the media too, right? We just launched a low-to-moderate income solar program, uh, just tailored at that uh, that that sector, right? And so, what I've understood is, right? You uh, that that type of experience. I mean, you know, poverty. There is really like abject poverty, right? In some cases in India, right? It's just very stark. But also, the disparities are also very stark. Either you go from really rich to really poor neighborhoods within a heartbeat. Right. I find that very true even here. And so that is something that I've been now able to uh, tune my attention to to say, you know, like not everybody has a comfortable living. Right. There are a lot of people who are suffering because sometimes, right, Joe, the uh, perception from outside, is, as as they say it, every road is paved with gold. And we find out when we come here, it's really not the case. It's really not the case. People are struggling for food and uh, paying the bills.
1: Do you have advice that you would share with other newcomers um you know clearly you're you've been successful you know you've you've found something that not only are you very good at and the city's lucky but it's also something that I think you really enjoy and what would you share with other people that are making their way to Cleveland who were born outside of the united states
2: um That's a great question again. So I would look at certainly assets, right? Every city has something to offer. Every city has something to offer. People sometimes get mired in the negativity, right? I mean, look at all the assets we have, you know, the UCI, the University Circle Incorporated. It's it's like a gem, right? I mean, which has so many museums. And, uh, you know, Cleveland Metro Parks, we're so fortunate for them for having taken over uh, some of the assets that are not managed properly, right? And so we have that, right? So at at the lake, the river, you name it. Uh, So what, and also the, um, And, you know, like all the professional teams that we would be very hard pressed to get a ticket. You go to Boston and New York, you would not even get in. Right. And here I am. Right. I want to go to a Caps game. I can. I mean, yes. Is it expensive? Yes. But also, um, you know, we watched even the uh, uh, NBA All-Stars practice. We didn't go to the day two, but day one. So anything like that, you know, the museum theater. So, you know, my wife and I just decided one day, okay, we're going to watch a, a film at the CIFF Festival just two hours before we were able to get in. So those are things that people miss, right? I think the my point is any city has a lot of things to offer. It's for us to find out and understand what that is and take the best advantage of them. So.
1: When you came to Cleveland, um, what did you find were the, the aspects of it that were welcoming? And what advice would you give to the The leaders of our community um, throughout the community the political the corporate uh, the nonprofit sector in terms of ways to make you know more families who were born in Madras or born in Brazil or born anywhere in the in the world to feel more welcome here in the city
2: Um, so again if I may expand to where I'm living I live in Shaker Heights and Shaker Heights is like a mini you know United Nations (laughs) right so there is no dirt or diversity there Um, I'm not able to, um, uh, you know, s- speak about that necessarily for all city of Cleveland neighborhoods just because of my lack of experience. Not that I, not that I'm you know discounting that, but certainly right. I as I've gone through the city of Cleveland, I do see pockets of Asian communities and Latinas. It seems to be a bit more segregated than what I had perceived it to be, right? Mm-hmm. And people tend to reside where people are, right? The east side is more traditionally African American, right, and the west side is more Latina. I would like to see a bit more homogeneity. I know that years and years of different uh, racial history has also played a role in that. Um, I think it would be more welcoming if we see more tighter integration. Obviously, I cannot speak enough about safety, right? The concept of safety does play a big role um, in how people perceive where they feel would be safe, especially coming in as an immigrant. You're not in your surrounding neighborhoods. You don't have the things that you know you can trust. You know and uh, when you hear a gunshot you don't want to keep thinking is it fireworks or gunshot that always happens in my community too right in june and july so that's i would say is real right Is real um so those things are i think it's just the and i know this is going to take years and years to kind of address right it's part of that um in terms of being more welcoming um i would say certainly it is hard, but I would say going beyond the you know, you know the dual lingual approach, right, English and Spanish, but uh, maybe people understanding that there's something more beyond the English and Spanish. And me being an Asian, I would say, I would say more more so that, um, and I'm glad that this month actually happens to be the Asian American Pacific Islander Month, right? And so those events would uh, help uh, provide a more better perspective of uh, you know brown skin immigrants too. So
1: right. On on a personal level, what do you think that um, each person can do to be more welcoming to newcomers? You know, you've shared a little bit about the idea about the way we do city planning maybe or the way, you know, different um, uh, people uh, feel that they're welcome throughout the community. But like on a personal level, what would you say would be uh, things that that people should take note of in terms of making people feel welcome?
2: Um, I think being open, right? Being open to and not having any, you know, stereotypes, I think is is really important and I'm not saying that they are, right? But I think sometimes, right, we find um, that there is sometimes, right, because of other, you know, negative happenings in Asia, especially for instance, right? There is a certain wall or a, you know, misperception that happens that I've seen. So I think just being more open to uh, getting inputs and uh, just being understanding of different uh, regions within... uh, within the framework. And that seems to be happening quite a bit from what I see in my kids' curriculum too, right? It starts from, I would say it starts from early on, right? In terms of a better understanding. I know a lot of my friends back in 2001 who pulled out maps who had no idea where Afghanistan was, right? Because just because there was a war, people started understanding where Iraq and Afghanistan is, just as an example, right? I think that, uh, I I think it's it's all upon us, to continue to educate and also through, uh, through the better geography and history lessons, to be honest, right from school. That made a big role in our understanding. I could tell you all my kids used to know exactly where Detroit was. It's always called the capital of uh, motor vehicle manufacturing. That was a, f- a standard quiz question for us in our fifth grade. But I can tell you, right, that is very rare. If you want to ask people from here, even name two big cities in India. Hmm.
1: Hmm. That is so interesting. Um, the work that you're doing has, you know, implications, you know, for not just the city, but for the region and, and clearly, um, global warming is something that transcends borders. Is is there anything that you think about in terms of your work that you're doing every day in Cleveland and the impact that that'll have on, on places far away, you know, over oceans and and beyond our own, our own um, borders?
2: Oh, the, again, that's a great question, right? We all breathe the same air at the end of the day, right? We all have the same atmosphere at the end of the day. It's somehow there is a you know, misperception. Well, again, also, right, it, it's, you know, blaming the West is very common uh, nowadays, right, in the, you know, like, especially in the developing countries. You know, don't tell us what to do. You had your say of uh, globalization and industrialization. It's our chance to do it. Hence, we are going to warm and use all these fossil fuels before we catch up, right? I think that seems to be that uh, notion that, we are trying to, we, I think we're all trying to challenge a bit, right, saying that, I mean, you know, don't make the same mistakes that the West did, first of all, right. There are other ways to develop, uh, I think. So that will be one message that we are trying, I think everybody's trying to communicate, especially through the, um, you know, the COP, the planning process of the UN, right. So don't make the same mistakes. However, uh, we realize that we need a lot of funding and technology to be able to, uh, for the developing countries to just, you know, just bypass the coal generation and get to the renewable generation as one example, right? Um, the other example I would provide, which is happening now, which is way better, right? Uh, cleaning up waters. I would love, for instance, we have a lot of sister cities, right? Including, uh, I think there's a city called Bangalore in India where we have a sister city. I've been yearning to do something and I am looking to Global Cleveland to help me do something. It's It's not the city where I grew up, but it's close enough they are facing the same transportation challenges that everybody else is in a growing city uh, people want their own cars right they don't want to take public transport but guess what the the roads are uh, log jam right and so while there is traction uh, people are joining the larger carbon disclosure project uh, projects from india as an example i think this this what i'm what i'm really concerned is they're going through the same challenges that we did right in terms of water access and transportation and energy that they are today mm-hmm. um, certainly i'm i'm not discounting urbanization right urbanization is is kind of where everybody's headed to but it it is coming at a cost um, and i would love to get more involved uh, through my channels or through global cleveland and other avenues in order to share lessons learned uh, for a better planned infrastructure
1: we would we would really appreciate that um, clearly the sister cities program is is one really important way for us to connect uh, globally? And, and you're right, Bangalore is is a substantial city mm-hmm. in India, and and we have a relationship with. And and it would be something that, you know, we'd love to follow up with you after this interview because um, mm-hmm. we're always looking for those uh, for those bridges. Um, we want to just ask you a few fun facts about India. Yeah. Uh, if someone is visiting for the first time, uh, where should they visit first?
2: My. Uh bases and also people might say Taj Mahal but my base I, I would say go to a state called Kerala k-e-r-a-l-a it's a phenomenal state it is my neighboring state i'm giving up by i'm not saying Tamil Nadu so Tamil Nadu is a state where i grew up but i'm saying Kerala just because the backwaters uh, it's just phenomenal it's the weather the the culture is great um certainly Tamil Nadu too uh, my state um, you know, we talk about buildings that are old and historic here that are hundreds of years old. Now you go back there, you look at the temples that are 500 years old and 600 years old. You know, you'll be amazed at the type of architecture that has gone into them. Right. So that is really something that I would really uh, appreciate people to go. Um, certainly the north has a lot more. The north India uh, as in Delhi and Agra and uh, in Jaipur has a lot of history in terms of forts and palaces, which is oft visited. Um, I would also tout another state, which is not well-known, but I've been to, that I love. It's called Sikkim, S-I-K-K-I-M, Sikkim. You can actually get a view of the second largest peak from India and don't have to cross the border to go to Himalayas.
1: Wonderful. What would be the the food that people have to try
2: first? Oh, gosh, again, I'm going to be biased uh, towards a couple of things. One is called the dosa. It's D-O-S-A. It's kind of a crepe. Uh, made with batter. Um, It's phenomenal in the sense that you can uh, like experiment with it and never go wrong. You can have fillings and stuff in it. The other um, food that I am very biased towards is called uh, chaat, C-H-A-T. It's just a hodgepodge. It's like like a potpourri of, you know, spices. So Mm -hmm. those are my two favorite.
1: What activity does somebody have to do first?
2: Oh, if they go to India, you mean? Yeah. well let me see besides going to an ashram no i'm just kidding <laughs> uh, i would say um certainly you know visit the temples because that is something that is that is beyond describable and you you, you don't have to believe in the religion you just you just need to uh, see the architecture and and experience that for yourself Um, It's interesting, it's surprising, although I have not partaken in it, but in the north, uh, just close to the foothills of the Himalayas, whitewater rafting and bungee jumping are all taking, uh, gaining traction Hmm. quite a bit. So I would certainly encourage that. The other thing I would encourage is doing a houseboat uh, rental uh, in the state of Kerala, like I mentioned. I, I did that for my honeymoon and just you can take one night, two nights or three nights, whatever, right? And so that, that is uh, that is phenomenal. Uh, just You just relax in a houseboat.
1: That's wonderful. And do you have any sayings that you would like to teach us or any popular things that you say that you would have said when you were growing up that are, are uh, ways for us to better understand the culture and how you came up?
2: Okay, well, that is the refinder uh, ways of thinking things. Thing. There's always a street cred, right? The street lingo. I don't yes. know which one I should go ahead and do. <laughs> Well, I mean, so uh, I, my mother tongue is Tamil. Tamil is, is spoken, you know, it's one of, the, one of the oldest languages. Some people argue it's possibly the oldest language in the world. And so there are all these lingos that we talk to each other. It's like machi, you know, that's something. It's actually machi, actually much. It's like a brother-in-law, but it's more like a lingo to just, uh, hey, bro. So it's an, just the equivalent is, hey, bro. Hey, friend. So that's Machi. one.
1: <laughs> All right. Yep. Um, and if people wanted to learn more about your work, uh, where can they uh, find out what's the website that people should pay attention to? And we'll post it as well with this podcast. But we want to make sure if people want to learn more about what you're doing on energy and resilience and sustainability in the city, they know where to reach you.
2: Yeah. So they can start with uh, sustainablecleveland.org. Okay and then they can find different uh, areas of uh, work that the city does uh, in general about climate action uh, sustainable cleveland policies um, yeah and then from there they can certainly follow us on social media that will be the best thing to do because we are really active in our social media communication uh, linkedin facebook twitter uh, follow us on sustainable cleveland it's not a plug but uh, that's the reality right so s- social media these days are more active and more up-to-date than our website is
1: I, I understand that very much, and I am so grateful today to have had the chance to talk to the energy manager with the Mayor's Office of Sustainability in the City of Cleveland, Mr. Anand Natarajan, who is just a phenomenal public servant and someone who's doing great work for us, and showing how in landed the stories of newcomers here in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, there is so much international talent and, and so many people Who are hard at work of making our community even better and stronger thank you so much Anand, for joining us today and thanks for being part of our
2: podcast it is my pleasure thank you once again joe appreciate it
0: thank you so much for listening to this episode of landed stories of newcomers we want to thank anon for joining us today As some of you may know, June is Immigrant Heritage Month, and here at Global Cleveland we're celebrating all month long. Please continue to tune in to these episodes and make sure to follow us on our social media accounts to keep up with how we're celebrating and sharing the stories of immigrants and refugees who have come to Cleveland, Ohio. To wrap up the celebrations, we're going to be celebrating Global Cleveland's Giving Day on June 28th. We're going to be doing many fun activities on that day, along with having different donor initiatives. So please make sure to follow us on social media to keep a track of all of that. Once again, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a like or a share, and we hope to see you next time.